Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, ADAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen ADAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. ADAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. Yeah, that's a thumbs up to go, Brent. Oh, are we? <laughs> that's it, we're in. We're in. Are we, are we, are we going? Are we, are, can we hear us? Definitely used to us being on time. Who? who? Who are we talking to? Who, 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 who are we talking to? <laughs> well, we've got Paul in. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, we've got Paul in from our, our Evertonian friend. I think, that, I think that's how radio works. Just keep talking and people just come in. That, that's, a bit like, that's a bit like teaching, isn't it? Yeah. I start the lesson irrelevant if anyone's going to listen. Uh, well, kids come in late for my lessons now, which happens a lot more recently. Like, would you like to come in? I'm halfway through, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. please, whatever you're in. Whatever, please, but would you like to repeat what I just yeah. said? Yeah. So it is getting a bit like well, that. They, well, they've got to carry the 10 litres of water behind them. 10 litres of water. <laughs> the water boy. Oh my God. God bless the year sevens. I love the year sevens. I mean, Paul would agree with us in primary school. But why do the smallest children have the biggest school bags? Yeah, I don't know. Why? Do, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the unknown factors I've never figured out. Now, as a kid growing up in the Troubles, there was another one of the very issue with The British <laughs> Army always give the smallest... They have a big bag. No, no, no. no, no, no <laughs> the British Army always give the smallest guy the biggest receiver radio with the tallest aerial. <laughs> I never forget, you always see these guys, and I'm, I'm five foot six and about you know, 12 and a half stone, so I'm, I'm you know rugby player, winger type you know, build. I always wonder why did they give this? And I'm sort of figured it out that the smallest surface area is less likely to be targeted, and they're, therefore yeah, the radio right. saved. Yeah. And I did look that up, and I thought, but, but why do our, why do the smallest children get? Because I just won my year sevens the other day, and it's like, what is in your bag? And it's this tiny little child. Yeah. With, with oh, I mean, I, I go trekking in the, in, in the Andes with less kids <laughs> than that kid has in the bag. All the parents ex-military. <laughs> the parents realise that those bags can cause a lot of problems. So, yeah. yes, maybe we should yeah. do a story on what size are yeah. children's school bags these days and are they necessary, you know, the size they should Anyway, be? I think they call that on radio rolling stars. I think we crack the uh, the new wave of podcasts and we just kind yeah. of start talking and uh, say, so we say good evening, good evening, good, good evening, e- Brent. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for tuning in tonight. We've already got a kind of a few people uh, tune in tonight. Um, we're kind of uh, we're quite buzzing tonight. You've just had a open evening, so you're oh, you're, 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 you're flying already. I've I'm, I've been like the used car salesman. You know, <laughs> I feel like you know, they're a combination of Del Boy Trotter meets David. You know, Arthur from you know um, what do you call it, Minder. Yeah. Come to our school. Come, come, come yeah. to our school. Our school's awesome. And parents ask you questions. I love them. I love yeah. parents evenings. Does it, does it come through in waves? It's always interesting. Yeah, you know, you kind of, where all of a sudden you have like no one. Are you just chatting amongst you? Then all of a sudden you've got like four a horde, a horde of parents <laughs> descends on you, and and of course I, I I'm there that long now. I'm, t- I'm in my twenty twentieth year of my school, and of course in comes the ex pupil, and I see the mini me, and yeah. and then I see the, the the partners like, what was my husband like at school? 
next question, please. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what do you think my child's going to be like at school? Hopefully not like I hope. You know, so it's really good. It's lovely. I, I, I know Open Evenings have become a measure of schools competing with each other and schools kind of marketing aspect and, and a bit of the academization. But it's not a bad thing. I, I love meeting parents. I love talking to the parents. And I think it's massive for relationships. I think it's massive for building that relationship with the, the person who cares about the, ch- the child. And I think if we actually had more face-to-face time with parents and less of the email culture and less of the kind of remote culture, mm. I think it would solve a lot of problems yeah, in we, education. We, we, we said this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, about bringing yeah. the community into school and the, power, yeah. the, the old power of community schools. Yeah. And actually, you know, you, we I, I said that night that schools sometimes feel like, don't come here, the fence is up, the gate yeah. is shut, go away, you know. And actually what we want is... Come on in, see what we do. See what we do, see what it's like, yeah. see where your child sits. Um, I mean, I think prime. I th- again, I, I mean, I, I can speak from anecdotally from my children being at primary. I think primary schools, again, to give them a, a massive, I, I think, kudos. I think primary schools are a lot better with community engagement, yeah. a lot better with parental communication and engagement. Well, they have the whole PTA course. Yeah, they, yeah. there is there is a lot more of that, and I think secondaries have you know this 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 time of the year is full of my child at secondary school isn't happy my child's uniform there's a lot more pushback on yeah. secondaries sometimes because i think there has been a disconnect so it's always exhausting to do open evenings like this and i feel i'm in that kind of like parents evening buzz of you know later on this evening after i finish the show i'm probably going to lie down and, and have a crash but tomorrow cleverly um our, our our school has done an inset which which gives us the opportunity we're here late and, and then therefore tomorrow we, we have a little bit of not downtime, but we're not we're not teaching, mm. which is very clever. And again, I, I praise my head teacher for that. He told me that he was going to do that uh, ages ago because he was honest about me. He says, look, I'm asking staff to stay at nearly seven o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, what can we do to what can we do to make, you know, sweeten that as well? Put yeah. some food on. So we had yeah. some food, put some cakes on. And we had kids stay behind, parents give permission. So I'm buzzing at the moment yeah. in a way because I had a really affirming, lovely evening yeah. talking to parents. And even conversations with parents like, I think I want to send my child to this school. So it's a bit like a try you buy and you think, okay, if you're coming to the school, here's our values, here's what you expect. And you buy into that. And I think it's really important. Choices are massive. So now I have a GCSE because tonight we're going to move on. We're going to talk about um, private schools ditching GCSEs. And is there a future for GCSEs? And is this the kind of canary in the coal mine moment where on top of what happened during COVID with the rogue algorithm, Again, what we discovered about the the marking policies and the lack of accountability in marking and and the variations in the marking. Yeah, I think that was um, the weird thing that kind of came out of there is how how varied all this is. Actually, you're thinking as you as certainly kind of someone who was not in in education to start off with, looking from the outside. When you do GCSEs and talk to people outside regularly, they think there's this whole kind of system that's quite rigid and quite that actually the quality as, assurance as, as we, as is we, questionable. As we isn't picked it? Up, yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah. The quality assurance is questionable year on year. Is it is 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 it a good is it a, a qualification fit for purpose? We are the only country in Western Europe that examines our children at sixteen. Yeah. That is a legacy issue because because of course at sixteen we used to send children into further employment. Uh, employment training or we used to send them into higher education yeah. there used to be that direct i go into a job and i mean some of my friends left school just before they were 16 didn't bother finishing half the gcse's went and worked in the docks yeah they had you know went and worked for their uncle's business yeah, yeah. whereas you know straight away i'm going i'm going into higher education further education i need my gcse's so in my generation there was that straight away going i'm done with school at 16 mm-hmm. and they went out and started earning yeah, money yeah. and i had friends of mine who were driving a car at 17 and they're laughing at me going well, you're in debt. You, you know, you're you're going to go to university, and I went the university route. Never did my driving license, te- driving test until my early, early twenties, early thirties, because 
friends of mine who have been they've gone that route of life where they've gone straight into a job yeah. and they they pretty much have done with education. Now we are keeping kids. The listeners that Brent very rarely has a wing mirror on his back. <laughs> Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with it. Wing, wing mirrors are optional, aren't they? I mean, really. I I use the force to sense what's going on around me. You don't need that sensors. You just yeah. Make, you wait to the clank. I, 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 I can sense other cars around me. It's part of my Jedi training, you know. Um. <laughs> No, I actually, uh, many of you listen from the insurance companies. I, I, I do. I am a careful yeah. driver. Um, no, no problems. I, 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 this, this car is in one piece, actually. Well, it's electric, so it, 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 it's it's secretly got you know a kit in there. You know, he goes, yeah. "What are you doing there, Michael?" And, and it seems confused and keeps calling me Michael. Yeah. And I, I and I wish I was David Hasselhoff. Do you, want, do you want to be ahead of the wish you see that curve with the? Don't uh, let's, on, let the dog. <laughs> I won't go down that route. I'm going to try and poke you on a few things now. Do you? Oh, I, I, I. Not that kind of show you keep, you keep no, no, no. I'm, I'm sticking away from you. Right, so so the, 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 we're going to go on to that. So if anyone's got any thoughts on the private schools ditching GCSEs, uh, please let us know through the um, Twitter space. Or if you want to put your hand up, please stop us and we'll kind of jo- uh, join in. I just want to kind of cover this quickly because this was something I wasn't expecting. Uh, with the strikes that finished, or seemed to finish kind of last year before we broke up, um, the NUT, or, uh, sorry, NUT, what we'll talk about, the NEU, sorry, I should say, uh, seemed to kind of... Showing were, your age there. We were very happy with kind of what they sorted out. You know, I, I, I've disputed that with you, but this is the NASUWT's kind of uh, line this week. The, this rule to work thing. So I just want to pick your brains up, because I know uh, you are a year. Rule to work. Rule to work, sorry. Work to work. Rule to work. Rules to work. Rules for work. Work to rule. Let's try that way around. Rule yeah. to work. Yeah. Go on. Let's try that one. Um, industrial action beginning uh, today. So that was earlier on in the week. Um, I just want your kind of thoughts on this kind of concept. What you think about this off the back of the uh, union negotiation uh, earlier on in the year? And, you know, do you think this is a positive step forward, a negative step forward? Do you think they're just making a kind of fundamental mistake? And kind of how is it kind of sitting in a staff room? Um, you know, at the minutes at schools. Well, I mean, I am a pro-union guy. I am your stereotypical, I'm, I'm a stereotype, so any listeners who listen will probably figure it out. I, I am that guy. I am the militant sort of, uh, as I was once called by other Teachers Talk Radio guys, the Arthur Scargill of Teachers yeah. Talk Radio. But you still haven't got a live website. I don't have, no, I don't. <laughs> but I, I am about I am about my members and my colleagues. I've watched some of my colleagues, unfortunately. That's why I've unionised. You know, I've seen and lived through you know some changes in education, which I think have devalued and destroyed our profession. I, I, I firmly believe in the profession. I think we are a noble profession. I'm a proud teacher. I will stand up for our rights. That's in my DNA. It's who I am. And I've chosen a profession that is selfless and altruistic. And I've chosen to teach in the school for 20 years. I was there tonight. Um given what I think is a lot back and I get a lot back in return. I get the respect of the parents, the children. Uh, I think longevity wise, because I have been a teacher who is vocational, I have enjoyed my 20 years of teaching. I want to enjoy more because I haven't looked at the clock and clock in and clock out. I didn't want to be a person who watches the clock and leaves at 3.15. And that's not to criticize other. There are many different types of teachers. Some work very efficient. Some um, obviously go into the job for different reasons but I am one of those lifers I am one of those people that will probably be dragged kicking and screaming out of the classroom when they finally get me out of the classroom they're going to have to work hard 
given yeah. move me. But that's who I am. And I don't like this idea of work to rule for the simple reason that teaching has always been a selfless profession where we've worked with in our local context, our school. Mm. I will take actions that will damage the government who are damaging education. My target during the strikes was to put political pressure on the government in order to force the government to make a change of policy. Um, that's why I'm involved in, 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 in politics. That's one of the reasons why I'm not, I don't involve the children in politics in the classroom. I keep it separate, but I do believe in lobbying. It's the same as, you know, the likes of the XOR guys, people who protect, protest sometimes. You think they're making a difference. They highlight the issue, but they're not solving the problem. I felt the time was right. There was a perfect moment, a perfect, beautiful moment when we were close and very close to having the whole of the teaching profession completely united. And for first time in a generation, I think morally we were correct. We had been on strike. We'd won the argument. The government was on the back foot. They, and, and there's no criticism of Cycling Kev or Mary Boosted, no criticism of Danny, Danny Kebity. I understand that they are privy to obviously what the government negotiated and what they're up against. I felt we caved in and should have pushed forward even further. I think the perfect moment to take action was just before the summer. We were all together. The NASUWT had balloted and actually their strike action, had they had voted for strike action. I didn't like when they always put on their ballot, um, strike action, not strike action, stop short of strike action. I don't know what stopping short of strike action is because if you're stopping short of strike action, what do you do? Walking out of your place of employment well, at 3.15. Well, well, Who are you damaging there? Well, is, it, is this kind of that answer? Is, it, is that what we've got here? Because it's, it's, it's a kind of muddled release, isn't it? It's a muddled press release in terms of what is it they're expecting. And actually, you know, um, I think heads also are kind of don't really know what to expect either. No, no one really knows what they're getting behind either. My head teacher is not the person who I have the issues with. My senior management is not the person who I've got issues with. Don't get me wrong. We have our differences, but we find our, our common ground. He wants the same things as me. He wants the best for my colleagues. He wants the best for the school. I'm lucky to have a very understanding and good head teacher. I mean, I taught his, I taught his wife and his family. Yeah. So, and, and that's what you get in yeah. some communities. Are, are, are we in a portion of the show? If you put some... Okay, cool. uh, if sort of, um, if you are a say young teacher mm. and you are maybe we talked before maybe you're in a kind of academy chain that has uh, you know difficult policies to follow in terms of performance management um, how do you how do you kind of balance workload when you're constantly kind of just being given stuff to do on the whim of something all the time where and you know, how do you protect those people who are new to fashion? They might not necessarily have the support of experienced people around them. Well, they're feeling swamps. They're, they're then looking at this thinking, well, actually, this is what I need. I need somebody with the union to actually say, it's okay for you to stop work at 4.30 and go home. Is that what they're after from their union? I mean, Well, you do, you do need at a local level to ensure that your union, this is why you have union reps are important. A lot of schools don't have them now. They don't, but but there's, there's three there's, there's three things you can do. Number one, obviously, we've got a sponsor here who's called EdAdapt, and and if you are, if you don't want to be part of a union, EdAdapt is a, a way around that. It's a it's it's a, a support system that is basically case by case. So I'll, I'll take you through them. Yeah. I'll take you through obviously the union situation, and I'll answer your question. Yeah, yeah. So EdAdapt is pronounced EdAdapt, not EdAdapt, okay. which we we get ourselves into trouble with that. And 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 basically they provide school staff with casework services on an edu legal support individual case. And what they look at is employment disputes and allegations. They are apolitical, 
and independent, which which for some people is actually quite important because people think, you know, teachers are always, you know, we, we always get labelled as, as slightly more to the left or leading. And that's true to a certain extent. Yeah. But, you know, we're quite a diverse bunch. There's hundreds of thousands of teachers in the country of all different persuasions in all different schools. So on balance, we're slightly more to the left. I mean, there is the stereotype of the Guardian reading lefty, lefty teacher of which I am literally the poster child for that. But my staff room is a very diverse politically, you know, thing. People go into teaching for different reasons. So Ed Adapt may suit people who are, who say, apolitical and independent. Their team, they say, supports the subscribers because they're a subscription service individually with integrity, consistent and confidentiality. And they say they're a bit like a union, but they're different. And the difference is, is of course, they are apolitical and they are non-aligned and they're independent. Um, they give advice on allegations, disciplinaries, grievances, suspensions, employment contracts, pay, working conditions, six pay leave, maternity, paternity leave and more. And, and there are so many issues. All of those, as a union rep, I've had to fight. Uh, uh, practically every one of those in the last seven or eight years, I've had to, to fight and I've had to stand up for people on. Um, but unlike, say, at Adapt, I, I'm, I'm a teacher who is a union rep who has had training, don't get me wrong. But there are times when I have to ring up somebody else and go, where am I with this? So I'm not the specialist specialist. I'm a teacher who acts in a union capacity. Whereas, you know, these guys actually are, they will they will have the specialists on board. So, right. so I'm just looking at the website yeah. now. Actually, they do say, in lines with what we're saying, that uh, if you have questions about contractual hours and you're required to work, uh, you can talk to one of our caseworkers. Yeah. Uh, and you may have questions about attendance of staff meetings, working on weekends uh, or length of break or lunch times. Um, so that is something in terms of what we're talking about here, that is something they, yeah. will, they will discuss with you. And they have a whole range of different levels for people yeah. who part-time, 0.6, whatever. If you are a head teacher or you're, you know, you're um, a, a TA, yeah. they kind of... To the young teacher, I would say seek out your sage. Seek out your Gandalf <laughs> of the staff room. Seek out the wise the wise, noble teacher who's been there a generation, who is looking out for people. And sometimes you get those people who aren't union, or you know, but they have that kind of relationship that, um, and, and, and those individuals are, are, are everywhere within teaching, you know, the, the ones that can give the advice, the ones that do see somebody struggling. Well, the ones, and, the and, ones that our age are hanging on. Oh, well, of course we've, they are. We've, and, we've, we've had these battles. And, 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 you know, they do they do see some younger younger professionals going like, you're, you're, are you okay? Then, and because they, they are in the teaching profession to look after the children, but that also, they, they see that, you know, I, I've had co I've colleagues who are ex-pupils of mine, and it's the strange thing when you're teaching somebody who's actually somebody you've taught. But then, you know, I know them, they know me. So you have, it's a relationship. So if you are struggling, you don't have a union presence, I think you gather people together, you sit down together as, 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 and have staff voice. We're all with student voice, aren't we? Let's give the students a voice. I think collectively speaking, what's what's the collective name for a noun for, for a gathering of, of, of teachers? Is that a moan? I mean, what would you call it? We, we are we, you know, we, we are strong individuals. Uh, and message at the bottom. We can't. Name collective name for teachers, you know, a moan fest. Please call it staff room. <laughs> yeah. So you do get people doing that. And, but... The, the basic rule of thumb is 1265. There is laws and there is laws to protect, um, you know, and, and I would say, honestly, and this is this is as impartial as you only get from me, being a union union member, join a union or join a debt or join an organisation where your rights are protected and do it collectively with a large group of people or do it collectively with others. I think there's always 
I would call it the wildebeest theory, the the the, the Serengeti safety in numbers, um, and that that's for me how I I feel about it is that you, you should be seeking advice. Don't feel as if you, you should tolerate it and stand who's, up for who's yourself. The lion? And the lions sometimes <laughs> can be the the, the trust, the SLT, or, or or some individuals. So I have a hand up from our speak, uh, Tom, who uh, oh, I sent a lot two messages actually. So I'll say a Tom message. We're probably yeah, going to read out. Yeah. Work to rule made, saw it all different. Sorry, <laughs> NAS, UWT, going to move on. As Tom, was good enough not to be able to properly support any EU members in strike last year. Of course, I've had signed up to edit, edit, edit that UK. I could have. Good point, which I've just made, Tom. Um, we have a third comment from Paul. I'm sure even what work to rule would look like, it's a plan to teach. Is it all, is it all of marketing support plans updated, working wall displays, aid learning? Not sure if they thought it through. It's so, so, yes, Paul's sort of criticizing it, like, and especially primary. Right. Primary that they do a lot of extra work that, you know. So, yes, Tom. First of all, I know you said that you keep your politics outside of a classroom, but I have taught some of your students uh, <laughs> who you did have a seat for, and I can tell you now they definitely know your political views. <laughs> um, am I not doing a good enough job, Tom? No, uh, I think they know. In fact, one of them suggested you come in to talk about your green credentials as well uh, for politics. Well, I'm um, happy to if you want me. <laughs> no, we'll look into it. Uh, secondly, fully agree about what you said about joining someone, having that protection. Hundreds of thousands of teachers don't have protection. And, you know, some people, you know, want to be part of a political collective. Always great to join a union. Some people don't. They just want the, you know, the independent support. That's great. Join ADAPT. Um, yeah. Either way, make sure you are covered. And that's something I talked about with Alistair um, Wood, CEO of ADAPT last night. So if you haven't quite caught up on that show, then definitely do. Um, yeah. That's all I'm going to say. I just wanted to say, Brent, but you're not very good at keeping your political views outside <laughs> the classroom. I'm now going to depart and well, talk show you. I, 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 I'm sat in a room here with all these campaign posters. How do you think I'm well, I try. You know, but the thing is, I do. The kids know who I am. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm actually standing as a political candidate come the next general election. I did receive an email today from a local school saying, "Would you come in and talk to our kids?" And I will admit that I did go down to uh, a local sixth form college and barnstorm and destroy. Um, who was that I destroyed? Uh, oh, was, uh, was that, who was that? Uh, Anna Subri. Yeah, so uh, Anna, yeah, Anna Subri got zero point five percent of the vote from the students. I got thirty six percent of the vote for the students. So, yeah, okay, fair enough. I- I'll accept that, Tom. Uh, hello, say hello to my ex students. How, how, how is Alan, Su- Alan Subri's uh, party? I, you know, the irony is actually now she's not in government. Yeah. I, I do follow her, and and as an ex lawyer, she's turned the other way. You know, I've actually got not going to say like her, but she yeah. she does speak some sense. An intelligent individual. Yeah. And, and I again, think, I think that's always the case for the Conservatives. Well, they seem when really they get into power, a, they get hamstrung, well, don't not they? But I just don't think the the moderate side of that party gets a chance to speak. No, well, uh, a lot of the time, yeah. there, there are some really good, you know, uh, local Conservative MPs that don't get a get. So to summarise, work to rule, work to rule. I I I think it's as, I think it's as effective as a chocolate fire guard. Um, I don't think it is what we needed at the time. But tasty. Uh, well. <laughs> You need to. Everybody needs to negotiate within a local context what what is appropriate for their school. Yeah. I spoke to one of our one of our, our union reps in our school, saying it's not appropriate for our school. We don't have that relationship with our SLT. We don't have that relationship with with our school, uh, and we're perfectly happy here. We don't get taken advantage of. And I think it's on a case by case individual basis. I think it does depend on whether you believe that your school or your trust or your organisation or your head teacher or your SLT are pushing too far but the, the rule of thumb has to always be is to total up the total amount of hours and make sure that's under 1265 
And that's the national agreement. So if you believe you're being pushed beyond 1265, that's it. The, the, you've got them. And and I, I regularly have people and, come and to me just, and say... Just very quickly, does anyone just know what that is? Can you just explain that? Yeah, 1265 is, is, is basically the amount of contract hours that you have. And that should include every parent's evening, uh, my open evening tonight, mm-hmm. um, the after-school sessions, your bus duties, for instance. So it's any contact time that you have... Um, now, when you do school trips, for instance, and you voluntarily go to school trips, that's not on 1265. So if you do extra stuff that you say is not on 1265, that's in your own times. And that's where school trips can be a bit a bit of a tricky one where you're asked. And, and again, that's where some schools struggle to get people to go on school trips if they're not on term time. And But that's up to voluntary people. And that, again, comes back to individuals who say, well, I don't mind giving up my time. Um, if you want to do an after-school session and, and it's not mandatory... That would not be part of your 1265. So I do that, but that's on me. And, and equally, you know, there's no requirement. My school doesn't say to me, we want you to run an after-school history session. We want you to come in over half term. And there is that time sometimes where people turn and go, well, you know, if I come in over half term, some of my colleagues are off on holiday. I do a day over half term. I choose to do a day over half term. I'm not trying to make a point that I work harder than others. That's my choice. But my school hasn't said or, or required it. That's That's me because I want to get the kids do, caught do, up. Do, do you think some people feel that they have to do that? So therefore the voluntary bit is not, is a bit more kind of woolly in some schools. I think sometimes yeah. people need to be told to sort of look after themselves a little bit. But we teachers sometimes go too far and we forget about ourselves. I use the analogy of the oxygen mask. I think we, we are so selfless, so driven towards trying to do what we do and so giving of our time we're altruistic in nature many of us and, and unfortunately that altruism gets taken advantage of and maybe unscrupulous individuals in charge can sometimes see that as, as a, de- a deputy head teacher they used to say to me he says you want something done put it in the hands of somebody busy and i once said to him he says there's a few people over there are not so busy any chance of hand any chance why you come to me and he was honestly oh come to you and i was a young keen enthusiastic teacher then um, and I would, I would have, you know, I would have done anything to prove myself. And, and I think there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of, you do get that from some, some, some younger, young, young professionals who want to get their, you know, their place in, 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 and to find their place and, and sort of prove their point. And I have seen some patterns of, of, of behavior from SLTs and trusts, which I don't like, which is, you know, um, things like uh, associate SLT member or a, a SLT member volunteer, and you think they're getting, an, they're, there's some people now doing jobs that, yes, yeah. but they're not being paid for it, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit of getting a, a cha- staff member on the cheap yeah. and bypassing it. And I think as recruitment is a problem and staffing yeah. is a problem, I think some schools are getting creative by saying, yeah. we would like you to do it. Yeah. And maybe you're rightly saying they're putting some pressure, yeah. moral pressure yeah. on and saying, would you do that for us? And I think sometimes we yeah. just need to learn but, the word no. But also as balance, sometimes they are very good opportunities for people yeah. to, to gain that experience. And they can decide in that realm whether it is something they do want to go into later on. Yeah. So it can work both ways. So we do what we don't work here. It things. can be something on the same again, as you said, yeah. As you said, if it's in the right hands and it's done for the right reasons... Uh, you know, it's it's all good, isn't it? But well, I, well, I, I, I see. Sure that balances. I see on the forums. I see on the, the union forums some horror horror stories of is this okay? And somebody's looking for advice on one of the union forums, and and straight away within five minutes, it's like you what? No way! You are not having that whatsoever. They cannot do that. So there is. I mean, there's twenty two thousand schools in the country, and not everybody is. I, I think sometimes not even some yeah, SLT. Well, but, but, 
are aware of, yes, yes, you know, course, what's 12, yes. as you say, what's 1265, how far they can push it. And there is some in some schools that kind of culture. I think going to the private schools we're talking about here, you know, mm. the Hogwartsy type of thing, if you're in a, in a private school, they're outside this as well. Of like, well, this is how we, and you get that in some schools, this is how we do it here. This is yeah, how it culture, is. Culture. And, and I spoke to a, a friend of mine who, who's my best friend's um, wife, and, and she's just gone into the private sector and says, well, what's the difference? Well, the kids behave a lot more, but more is expected of me. I says, what do you mean more is expected of me? Well, I'm going in Saturdays. Whoa, whoa, where's what's that? And she said, but well, same time, it's a trade-off. I don't get the kids throwing chairs at me, yeah. but now I'm expected to do more evenings and more stuff, and it's... But, but they the, have longer summers, and that, they also have longer summers, right? They do, yeah, so, so it's, it's, it's give and take. It's it? in the swings and roundabouts, but you go into that knowing that. I mean, I know when I went to my school I'm currently in that it was more vocationally, but I chose, mm-hmm. and I chose to be there because of the ethos and the culture. So I think sometimes the more you put in, the more you get back out. But you've got to be careful of not being taken advantage of. And if you think you are, as Tom's point was, you talk to your union rep, you talk to, uh, you know, ADAPT, and, and you talk to your colleagues and say, as a collective, I think we're being taken advantage of here. So just to summarise, we think, bad idea? Work to rules just won't, it won't make a difference. Tom's, Tom's actually right. I don't think it's going to make a button of difference. I mean, look how much traction it's it's generated in the media. I, mean, I, I, didn't, know anything, I didn't know anything about it until it was mentioned. Yeah. About Teaching is a rewarding profession but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. And, and, and that's not me. I'm not being critical of a union because I'm being critical of a union. I'm a pro-union person. I think the wrong time, wrong idea. And unfortunately, it won't make... It won't make it won't make a difference, and and if anything, I think the danger is of things like this. It makes us look bad as teachers. I think it is the, the potential to sort of make us sort of like the bad guys. And I know that the powers that be are, you know, that narrative out there of the six weeks holidays and and the easy cushy number and your your big fat, you know, your big pensions and teaching's easy. I think we have to be careful of something like work to rule falling into a kind of trap. That is there that we, we could easily fall into. So that's worked really happy with that. <laughs> oh, ecstatic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the name of a good film, My Big Fat Pension. What's left of it? What's <laughs> left of it? I do want to do a show on pensions, actually. Okay. I would really love to do a show on because I know it's not the most exciting thing, but as a lot of the frequently asked questions, we were talking about this, whether some uh, sometime we actually turn you know the show a little bit into a Q&A if people have got you know, some questions like that about things and maybe getting some experts like pension it because that's one of the yeah, most frequently yeah. asked questions I get is, you know, what is this pension on this scheme or that scheme? Have you checked? And there's a lot of yeah, teachers yeah. out there I haven't checked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they just assume their pension's going into a pot and they don't know about the two systems. So yeah. that's that's something well, we'll do later right, on. So we've blasted an hour then on this main story tonight then of the private schools and GCSEs. Yeah, I mean, well, actually, there's one more. Oh, well, yeah. I, I, I like, we do, yeah, we do I, I like yeah. this. I will, I will mention this. I, I think this is, um, as two fathers, I think I think this is really, I think this is nice. And I think uh, this is um, something, again, anecdotally, 
I kind of feel and think to myself, well, yeah, okay. And they say attainment, father's engagement boosts children's educational study finds. I love these studies. I really love perfectly anybody out there who goes and finds evidence in studies. And, and I suppose that's the thing about my profession, which is really, really good, is we are, you know, a lot of evidence-based and we do love, you know, these these studies that do then say, well, actually, this works and this doesn't work. It says fathers who actively engage in reading, playing, singing and drawing with children experience a small but significant increase in education attainment at primary school, according to studies. So I'll be interested to, to see some of our primary colleagues here, people like Paul, for instance, uh, who's the primary sector, whether he, he thinks this is, you know, in his, his setting, actually true. Uh, the study recommends that fathers spend at least 10 minutes a day engaging in education activities with their children. It also suggests that schools and early years education providers should develop strategies to engage fathers. The study based on a sample of almost 5,000 households found that fathers' involvement had a positive effect. Here's your happy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, positive effect yeah. on household, uh, sorry, on, on, on children's attainment, regardless, and this is interesting, regardless of gender, ethnicity, age, or household income. So it doesn't matter the background, doesn't matter, you know, wealthy, poor, it doesn't matter the other demographic. A father spending 10 minutes with a child, reading, singing, playing, um, will actually make a difference. The study shows that even small changes in what fathers can do can have a lasting impact on a children's children's learning. And that's the chair of the all-party parliamentary group on fatherhood. So I like this because the other day I told you what I did. And I don't know whether I, this is... I'll let you guys, I'll let you guys, and I'll let you judge yeah, whether I'm a good father or not. Do you think she's a friend? Right, so I went and um, my, my daughter likes playing some computer games now, and I, I like playing computer games. So I, I don't know, we're all, you know, wanting kids not to play lots of computer games, but I did have a Master System in Mega Drive, and I still play Xbox myself. I know horror shock, horror, I play FIFA, and the kids want to know what my FIFA handle is because they want to play my ultimate team, and they would go down with my ultimate team. These kids would go down. So I do like to game, and I think gaming's been fun, and, and I do think there's a lot of positives gaming in moderation. So I went and bought um, the old Sega classics mm -hmm. on online. It's like 50 Sega games, and it was like every game I used to play when I was 12, 13-year-old, Sonic the Hedgehog, Streets of Rage, uh, Shinobi, all the old school classics that I used to have to learn. And I'm thinking, there I am getting, there was no like repeats. You got like three continues and you had to do the whole game all the way through. And if you died, you had to do the whole game through. And think about that. Like you didn't give up. You would, you would know when each individual enemy was coming and what mood. And the funny thing is, I haven't played some of these games in nearly 30 years. It came back to me like that. I knew exactly where the rings were in, in, in Sonic the Hedgehog. I knew where the fast thing was. I knew where the, where the bubble thing was. I knew the type of enemy that used to kill me when I was a kid going, oh, that one's still there. And it's like, it's crazy, isn't it? I could go back into an arcade and do Street Fighter and still do a yoga fire, yoga flame. You know, I could still do a okay. And there I am with my, my daughter. Um, I did it partly because of her because I, I actually thought I could play Sonic with her. And she gets to play Sonic the Hedgehog with her friends because I know she has uh, that on her DS. And I thought, well, the DS is not social, not as sociable it is, but it isn't. So I thought, I can actually play. So there, she, there she's the other night. Right? Normally I would read a bedtime story or, you know, something Celtic like a myth or a legend. So goes, Daddy, can we play like, can we play on the Xbox? I'm like, should we, should we do one of the games? So we ended up doing Streets of Rage, which I'm sure is kind of like, my, my child is hitting people over the head with a drain pipe. <laughs> and there, there's one called Electra. And basically, she's a lady of the night who electrifies people with her whip. Now, I'm not getting into that. I'm just get, getting into the fact that I'm saying to my daughter, you take the top, you kill the enemies at the top, and I kill the enemies at the bottom. 10 minutes went by, 20 minutes went by. Wife comes through and goes, should she not be in bed? 
And I look at her and go like, five more minutes. And I'm like, this is just like when I was a kid. And she's looking at me going like, Daddy, Daddy, can we finish this level? Can we finish this level? And I'm like, yeah, we'll finish this level. We'll, we'll go to bed when we finish this level. Next day, she's like, Daddy, can we do the next level? I says, yeah, of course you can do the next level. And it was bonding time. It was good bonding time. She learned a little bit, you know, but it's equally, it's that kind of fun, having fun with my daughter, mm -hmm. doing something that she might remember. And maybe 20 years time, she might turn around and say, remember the time, you know, daddy used to play video games with me, so it make me sound like a terrible parent. But it's not just, it's not me turning into a games addict. There was a lot of strategy in it. You know, she, she accidentally hit me across the head with a drain pipe. I'm like, you've just killed me. And it's that, that oh, interaction. I'm worried that she's after the game. Well, you know. <laughs> but, but it's the... And, and, I, and I, I find myself being Yoda-ish in teaching her the ways of the Mega Drive. Mm. And I'm like, she's learning. And she's learning, you know, oh, you, you died there. Right, let's do this move instead. And I'm showing her how to, how to do A, A, B, B, A, A. And I'm thinking, yeah. I'm teaching my daughter how to game. But it is, it's, it's dad in the cave, isn't it? It's just it's as simple as that. It's well, this is fire. It's, yeah, it's, it's passing on your your existence, isn't it? It's passing on what you enjoy. It's passing on a part of you to the next generation. Isn't it? that, that's the time that you're spending, isn't it? So it's that kind of question. Really... Am I a terrible father? I'll, I'll leave. I'll leave it to the viewers. What, what well, the viewers any thoughts? <laughs> Is there any thoughts on my parenting? Am I, going, am I going to hell? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yes. Thumbs, thumbs, thumbs up if it's good that I'm teaching my daughter Streets of Rage. Uh, thumbs down if I need to read her a book that's non-controversial at the moment, which is getting more dangerous these days with can I, what books can I read? So, uh, oh, yeah, I've got, I've got a happy, smiley, laughy face from, 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 from Tom. Grudgingly. So, <laughs> it's old school, old school Mega Drive games are absolutely brilliant. Gameplay in them is absolutely fantastic. So that that'd be interesting to to see how that develops because you know you know there is you know we do need parent engagement and we, we often say you know how much is done by us in school, but that's why I was tonight talking to an opening and talking to parents who need to support their children. And I think. My point is, is that my child's education is my responsibility. I'm the primary educator. And I think when I was happening in schools, is it's seen more as what are they teaching them in school? And I'm sorry, the education I provide in school is back up to the education provided at home and also in society. I mean, there used to be the old saying, isn't it? It, it took a village to raise a child, isn't it? You know, my grandparents had a massive input into my education. My uncles and aunts, my older brother, you know, I think of all the people who I've learned from throughout the years. My football coach had a massive in, in, in influence in my education. So I don't think that's rocket science to sort of think that that study is, I think it's interesting, but I think it would back up what we all know. And it'd be interesting if any, if any primary school teachers would, because it was suggesting that this was primary and that it was more impact, but we know that early years is more impactful. The more the earlier you get with the kids, sometimes the better. So, yeah. we're, we're, go, we're going back to the child. We'll just we'll just do one more, then we we'll get on to the main story. <laughs> um, were it, when you when you were when you were in school, were you happier being taught in Portugal? <laughs> no, I wasn't happy to be well, taught in a border cabin. The thing is, because the border cabins used to be horrible, and they used to have those heaters at the front. Those those heaters that yeah. heated up. Like, like literally now, they, they must be fire hazards, little, little metal ones. Sure. And I used to have to sit beside one of those metal yeah. ones. And when my teacher put it on, it's like the place turned into a blast yeah. furnace. Now, 
as for Hudlin, because it's, there seems to be a kind of ever end, never ending building project. So a bit like a HS2 score, if you want. Don't you start <laughs> me on that. <laughs> and uh, we, we kind of we kind of started in these kind of port cabins, and by the time I got to the end of sixth form, they're absolutely falling apart. In fact, the sixth form block that we had had a big hole in it. I'm I'm somebody that runs hot, it all the time. So at school in the in an old building, I was always red hot. So I was always relieved to go to the port cabin because it was ice cold, and it was a chance to kind of cool down in the day. See, so, like the coldness of the porter cabins, yeah, whereas, whereas, whereas mine, the heating was on even in, yeah. in July. It's hard enough. We had, we had uh, A-level sociology, and we had a porter cabin that was the other side of the uh, schoolyard, and that was so old. The fun that we had was that every so often, birds would come in and join us in the, <laughs> in the, in the class. They'd actually just fly in, sit there for a bit, and just fly out. They just disappear, and we're, we're always worried that one day we're just going to get absolutely covered, you know, in bird poo. Yeah, in bird poo, like a flyby. Uh, but they never did. Did you know what? They what, just what, seemed to sit. There. What was it? Pigeons? Was it? Was it gulls? Did you have some um, rare birds? You know what I mean? No, they weren't kind of. It was just a, a pigeon. I think it was kind of a basic kind of. But they they just fly in for a bit and then disappear. Um, but the, yeah, but what I remember thinking was, yes, porter cabin chance to kind of cool down because the rest of the school was kind of an old. Victorian building, and in the winter, all those pipes would kind of kick in, and I'd just be running the whole time, thinking I just wanted because we had to wear the blazer, and do, then we had to wear the shirt. Do you remember, so, do you remember so the, the porter blazer cabins? type of big woolly thick thing? Okay, porter cabins. You're outside queuing up outside, no cover. Yeah. Next, you have to step into a porter cabin, which in itself, those old metal ways of getting. How many times did I see somebody fall, and you know what, getting in and out of a porter cabin? The thing was propped up on blocks, yeah. which also meant some of us. I remember we used to. I remember we used to run and crawl underneath the porter cabins yeah, yeah, to yeah, hide, yeah. or throw each other's bags under. Oh, I oh yeah, on the roof. Yeah. 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 So, educate secretary. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, where are yes. we? Yes, I want the porter cabin. Britain's I'm... about to be overtaken in education attainment by Estonia, and we have an education minister who's saying, "Oh, porter cabins are fine, and kids love them." Universe, are we in? Yeah, but but obviously, kids like anything that's different, don't they? I mean, that that, that was the that was the point. It was exciting walking to the end of school. Oh, we're in the port of the cabin today. Yeah, you're outdoors. It's, it's a little a little bit more exciting than just oh, we're in the English class. Yeah, there, there, was, a, there was kind <laughs> so of. So you're saying port of cabins because they're different and and, and kids like variety. Well, well, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, don't ask kids <laughs> what they really like because oh, in, yeah. in terms of in terms of feedback, in terms of strategic value. Education, um, because you're kind of going to get the wrong picture. I like porter cabins because it cooled me down. But the the fact that probably it was terrible for my education. I mean, I mean, didn't factor in at age. How many times now? And 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 I'm not getting into a education minister rant. How many times has somebody had to go? This is what she means about what she said. We're getting into that dangerous territory now. What she's trying to say is, now I'm sorry, but if you're a government minister and people are having to interpret you, especially if you work in education, it's not very clear, is it? If you're saying, oh, it's porter cabins, we can cope with them for a while. You know, a lot of us went to school when there were porter cabins. We'll, we'll sort it out. And, you know, the kids won't be negatively affected by being educated in porter cabins and it won't be a temporary measure. That's pretty much straightforward. But saying that kids love porter cabins. Yeah. I mean, what, based on, she went to one school and the kids said they like being in porter cabins. 
That's, I'm sorry, that, that's not a scientific thing. She has got some empirical yeah. study that children prefer being taught on court accounts. Because if she doesn't, she probably shouldn't be saying that, based upon yeah. one experience yeah. of I mean, a couple I mean, of kids. I mean, clearly it's an adult now looking back, and would I want my child as well? Absolutely not. I mean, I was telling you a story, the guy that we had a... What, do you think of my opening? I'm sure my parents <laughs> rang all like, hey, look, we've got these latest porter cabins. Kids love them. Yeah. Um, parents are going, what? Yeah, I mean, this, this, I remember this, this, yeah. this, this one lad, because we're, um, we're on the... We're on the kind of belt of uh, far, a lot of farms. There was yeah. one lad who was a, um, a farmer's son, um, and um, you know, he was a little bit different, we say, to the rest of us in, in the school. Oh, and, and he he, uh, he lost it, he, lo- he lost it, he lost it in his geography class. We had a geography class in, in this, and he picked up this chair. And I remember thinking, We're all done for here, he's, he's gonna kind of. He's going to go through us all. And the teacher managed to calm him down by saying, Davey, Davey, put the chair down. And he just turned around and he threw, he, he, he pushed this thing so hard. It went through the port cabin wall. The port cabin wall. And it stayed there for about two weeks, like an art piece, halfway up the wall. That's like one of those old pubs with the cars <laughs> half in and out, isn't it? Yeah, but you could see, <laughs> as you walk past, you could see the legs sticking out the outside onto the field. Robust building. <laughs> oh my gosh, no. I mean, no, 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 we, we, we shouldn't be yeah, having we, to yeah, educate. We're being satirical, I think. Well, we are, but the sixth wealthiest country in the world yeah, shouldn't be cool. saying porter cabins are acceptable in, in 2023. Fix the job. Fix the job. Fix the job. However, it was worrying that one of the schools um, who had got the whole rack refit and done the thing, it turned out to be like about 1.25 million, was it, for that one school? Yeah. So the bill is going to be big. Well, as the uh, and the, hand, yeah. the pockets got to be yeah. deep to sort it out. So before we yeah. switch into and GCSEs, yeah. we just mentioned our sponsor, uh, Edadapt is a teaching um, um, non-union but a union, and they provide teachers with school staff with casework services and edu legal support in individual employment disputes and allegations. Which, let's be honest with you, there's a lot more within education, and I've noticed that in, in even my career, there's just more pushback, isn't there? So they're an apolitical and independent organisation, and they do through subscriptions, and this team supports their, their subscribers individually with integrity, consistency, and confidentiality. They say they're a bit like a union, but different, which is fair enough. And they give advice on allegations, disciplinaries, grievances, suspensions, employment contracts, pay, working hours, sick pay, leave, paternity, maternity, and, and much, much more. And we are in that world now, aren't we, where there is more litigation, there is more, um, I, I would say, horrible stories in education, which in my own lifetime I've seen. So there is more need for, yeah. for organisations like ADAP. And as we were saying yeah. earlier on, um, obviously, if you if you, if you you want to join a political union, they're there. But if you want an say, apolitical, yeah. they're there. Yeah. They're, they're also there as a caseworker yeah. to, to talk through things. Yeah. Um, available at 8am to 7 Monday to Friday and they aim to respond within two hours I love that when they aim to respond within two hours which is fantastic because sometimes actually the turnaround needs to be quick and, I, and as, as I say as a union rep I get people ringing me sometimes I leave myself available like that and it is, it is better to speak to people as quick as possible mm-hmm. rather than let things fester mm-hmm. there's nothing worse on a Friday afternoon when somebody turns around um, you know, and, and, and you're just about to leave. So they are available up to 7pm Monday to Friday, which is good. And I say that's really good that they are available to 7pm Friday because that hopefully can resolve something before the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, they use only qualified professional caseworkers who are experts in education. So that's really important as well. So that's our sponsor, E-Adapt, um, as well. We'll say hello to them tonight. Ah, hello. Really? <laughs> I didn't even know you were there. Yeah, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sponsoring us. It is important that we, we obviously... Um, we, we choose the right sponsors which fit our ethos as yeah. well as Teachers Talk Radio and also 
If you are interested, you're more than welcome to come join the team. Come and join the hive mind that is Teachers Talk Radio. You will be assimilated and added to the collective mind. And uh, we are a diverse, eclectic bunch of individuals in different countries. And it's a bit of CPD, it's a bit of fun, and also it's just very interesting as well. So come and join our, our team. And obviously, if you contact us, you can definitely. Um, so it's, it's always a Friday. It's <laughs> actually right, Amy. It's always somebody comes to me on a Friday afternoon. I'm about to leave the door, and I'm 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 such a sucker. It's like sit down and I get my wife going like, where were you? And I'm coming home at 5.30 and I'm like, this person had a crisis. And then I have a quick turnaround before I put my kids to bed and then go play football. And I'm like, oh, but I never, I never turn somebody away because I know the importance of it's really hard when something happens. And it, I'd say there is more issues come the end of the week. People are tired and, and, and things build up as well. And I have noticed that pattern um, and that it is, it is quite a tricky one that I, I do find I've even got to the stage where I've actually asked my teacher to, they've given me one hour union time to literally sort of, can you put that in the back end of Friday afternoon? Because I know I get more customers coming to my door and, and I get the little knock on the door going, have you got a minute? And I'm thinking, I'll put the kettle on. I'll put the kettle on. So it is that's important to, to have that, that, that time step at 7 p.m. from Monday to Friday. Fantastic. Right. right come on, main question. Um, so, yeah, so the, 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 I think this is going to divide uh, uh, some individuals uh, because, you know, some of us are pro-GCSE and some of us are not GCSE. From the top, I'm not a pro-GCSE individual. I like the competition. I like when kids do well. I like exams personally my own. I, I, I see exams as always a, uh, an opportunity to do well. Um, I'm one of those strange people that looked forward to exams when I was a kid because it's kind of like, uh, let, put me in there, let me go and, 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 and uncoil spring. So I was one of those just I don't mind them um and I do like that we have results day and there's one of the, my favorite days of the year obviously is results day you're there you see the envelope and you see the kids going fantastic and I think we need something like that I just and I'm gonna say there's something very unlike me I do agree with this shift that private schools have got away from GCSEs because maybe if it's based upon what I believe I would base mine on is I don't think they're appropriate for the age group any longer. I don't think we should be examining children at 15 because a lot of children are doing GCSEs when they, you know, at, at 15. They're, they're starting the course when they're 14. And we know that the adolescent brain is being rewired between 14, 15, 16. And I think it's the wrong time now. Why we, we always did GCSEs was because of you were leaving education. There was a natural end point where you left education and you went into for employment or you stayed in education and you needed those qualifications to decide whether you got your GCSEs, you go on to higher education. You didn't do so well in GCSEs, you go into vocational training, you go into training or you find an alternative route. I don't think that that exists any longer because you now have to stay in education until you're 17. So why are we the only country in Western Europe examining children at 16? I would hope that that's the, the reason for the private schools, some of them ditching the GCSEs. I would hope it's not some way to game or some way to um, find ways to get more out of the system. I generally hope that is the case. And, I, and I'm putting out to the floor of how do we feel about that. Do you, do you personally believe we should ditch GCSEs? Do you think they've had their day? Do you think our examinations, I don't mind widening this into the whole examination system, A-levels as well, T-levels, what is it about our education system at the moment that is, you know, GCSEs and how they are appropriate? Are they appropriate any longer? Do they get the best out of the children? Do you share the view that I have, uh, that, that ours have that, these unduly stress the children out? We cause them a lot of angst, mental health issues, parents as well. 
and, and it doesn't always produce the results that the child's level of ability is it an accurate measure of a true level of the child's I ability? Think, I think there's also a bit of a question mark at the minute because some of these qualifications are quite old now. Actually, some of the relevance of some of the content post-COVID. And the skills being asked. The skills, and the skills required. Well, in light of AI. Going into AI stuff. So mm. there's kind of a multiple range of things going on at the same time, really, kind of. Has society moved on that needs qualifications that need to represent those? Um, are, is the issue we, we talked before about their kind of uh, the quality, you know, around those the, the testing of those and the moderating of those exams? You know, is that up to is up to spec? Is it lost kind of credibility because of the whole kind of COVID thing anyway? The rogue algorithm, the yeah. Algorithm, mm. Like you look at the data. I mean, I, we, we were kind of crunching some numbers from business to this. <laughs> and the, the, as you do in business, uh, as you do in business, and the the tag uh, the tag results for visitors were like on average fifty percent higher than they were ever. So what was going on there? I mean, you know, I hate to use the word. Actually, I'm not going to say it because maybe maybe some people just got it wrong or didn't understand it. But fifty percent is massive increase that year. So has it just lost its credibility because people gained the system? Just, well, I just, just at that time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I know there there were schools. Mine being one of them, we were held. We were held over the coals. We had to justify every single. I remember I, we, we stood in the corridor with folders of every single folder, every yeah. single student, yeah. and we went through and justified everything that we done. Now I don't know what other schools did. Maybe they all did it, but fifty percent is a well. Mass, I know my PE colleagues. Class. My PE colleagues put a lot of effort into their moderation. I know my art colleagues put a lot of effort into the moderation. And when I when I did coursework for both geography and history. The levels we went through. I remember my 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 fellow historian and I, we would literally have pitch battles going. It's a six. It's a five. It's a yeah. six. Ready to get it's a six. Six. Yeah, it's a five. Yeah. I mean days. Yeah. Li- you know, deliberating over and ranking yeah. pieces of paper. Going. This is our best. This is our worst. Are you happy with that? No. Let's think about it. Set. Let's set. So we at our level had massive quality assurance, mm. and I know I have I have had scripts back in two subjects, geography and history. And I, I haven't taught geography in a few years, but I'm, I'm, I've taught geography for 16, 17 years. So only in the last two or three years, I haven't taught GCSE geography. But I still load the spec inside out. And I saw some of the, the my, my head of geography asked me for a second opinion on on some of the, the marking and blind marked it and says, what do you think? And I wrote down and it literally matched up completely with hers, yeah. sent back off and it was changed mm. because it was that far off. Mm. And it was literally, and the reason being, quote unquote, it did not, the marking did not match the mark scheme, which means the person employed to mark that paper did not employ the mark scheme provided. And the question my my, my colleague had and I was, that's the ones that we contested because they were so close to the margin. Yeah. How many more yeah. are out? And, I, and, and I'm not having to go at the markers themselves. I'm not having to, I don't want to do it and go down that route. I think there's an endemic situation about GCSEs is, are they fit for purpose? Is the exams themselves fit for purpose? Is it time to have a further conversation about what the purpose behind examining children at 16 is? It, you know, the, there is the class issue. There is the, the, what, the fact that the GCSEs are showing huge discrepancies between um, different areas, different regions, different types of schools, different types of kids. And, and certainly in light of what you're saying, with AI coming in and what we're expecting our children to be doing in the future, you know, are they fit for purpose any longer? And I think there's a definite case building 
for this. So anybody on the floor with any opinions on this, I'm more than happy to. Tom, you've got some experience. That's what I was about to say. If anybody wants to get involved, uh, you can just click the little icon in the bottom left, uh, the little um, microphone icon. So if you have an opinion on this, and this will be available uh, later on as a podcast as well. So if you've enjoyed listening, then you can share it on uh, with whoever else you might want to or might be relevant to. Uh, it'll be available Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the usual ones. Um, just follow Teachers Talk Radio. Back to you, Brent. Oh, good. So people can judge you for parenting all in or not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, that's going to be on the own. Oh, gosh. I'm forever in our cast as a terrible parent. Oh, do, do, do you want to look at this case? Yeah. This is a school in London. £24,000 a year. Is it Latimer? Latimer Upper School. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's a mid-level sort yeah. of private school. I mean, likes of Eaton charges 50, 60 grand. So we're talking a pretty expensive school. Yeah. Um, we'll drop all GCSE apart from English and Maths to stretch pupils further. Um, so nine, level nine isn't good enough. Um, and free up a quarter of teaching time. Now that is very interesting. And, and, and Tom HB, he and I both would agree on this and we're both historians. One of my biggest issues with my curriculum is I have far too much content, far too little teaching yeah. time. And, and that means the quality of what I'm having to deliver is just, you know, I'm trying my best, but I just so, have too so, much so to cram in. So when stretching inverted commas there, so what, what, what is it that's stretching? Well, this is the thing. They, they, from the sounds of it, they, they want to stretch the pupils further and free up a quarter of teaching time. Pupils will instead take Latimer's own qualifications, which have not been named, and will end up with a portfolio and transcript of what they've learned in each subject. Professor Alan Smithers, Director of Centre of Education and Employment Research at University of Buckham, said more private schools are expected to follow suit. He added that ditching GCSEs might take running schools smoother and questioned whether it was an advantage of all pupils. So again, this might not work for everybody. This may work in that context. But they are bypassing and they are almost saying, I'm sorry, GCSEs aren't for us any longer. And I know some schools do the IB. So there are there is so, some so, of this already. So, yeah, so, so we're already interested in this because this is clever behavior that I don't fully understand. It. So if your child goes to private school, they do this qualification, they mass English GCSE, they get say nines, let's say for argument's sake, they get this kind of school made certificates mm. of competence that maybe IT skills, AI skills could be, whatever they choose to do, a language, whatever. What then happens with their progression going forward? What like the if, university? Like if they want to go to university or they want to go to apprenticeship or they then get sit in front of an employer well, and they go, what have you got? I've got a child here with nine GCSEs, all up to nine, and I've got a child here with two GCSEs and a piece of paper from the school. But that's but, but, but that the school, school, logo, but the school logo. But that school would have <laughs> that kind of, this is our school, this is our coffers. But that's what we also get with, with, with kids who do the IB, the International Baccalaureate. Yeah, yeah but, at U, but, at U, but at, by the time you get to UCAS, it's a point score. So are, are A-levels then separate to this? Or can they not study A-levels? Can they do a, they, can they do a business A-level? They're by, they, they, bypassing it. <laughs> yeah, they're just bypassing it. So therefore, for state education, secondary education, what are we doing? We're giving the kids, we're giving the kids 11, 12, G- <laughs> we're not even, yeah, yeah, we're yeah, not even yeah. doing nine any longer, yeah. because you've got English, English language, yeah. English lit. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and here's the thing, schools, secondary schools are under massive pressure to do the baccalaureate. Yeah. You must do geography and history, you must do a language. I've seen a growth, extra triple science, double science, yeah. triple, and you're like, I, I sat down with some of my GCSE students last year and says, well, you know, why struggling a little bit of history? And one of the girls was so honest, she says, I love your subject, I love your teacher, Mr. Paul, but you know what? I've got all this. And they went through all of yeah, what they're yeah. doing. I, I, don't, I don't think she was honest with that bit, Brent. 
the, the next bit. <laughs> she was. She might have been me. honest with the next bit that's coming. Not, not that bit. She was lying. She was... No. Tom, <laughs> Tom, Tom, my students don't lie to me. The other Tom was teaching some of my ex-pupils, and, and, and they don't lie to me. They don't dare lie to me. They know I'm a human lie detector test. But she was honest. She was saying to me, look, I'm overloaded. She was honestly saying I'm overloaded. And as much as she enjoyed history, she basically felt there was too much to do in it. And she started to strategically say to herself, but we as a school, we're putting her in that situation because there's a finite amount of lessons that she can teach. There's a finite amount of work. And I even had a word from some of my colleagues in those subjects saying, how much homework are you giving? How much homework are you giving? That's not fair because you're overloaded. And, and that's, I, I've seen so many of our kids check out, start not to go to school because they just, they're overloaded when it comes to GCSE and they, it's the boiler house. Well, well, well this, is, this is the other thing. But that's could, this could be the reason for maybe, maybe the, there's a correlation here with absenteeism as well. Um, certainly that that story broke this week yeah, yeah. Uh, as well about why, and, and, and again, there was a massive discussion about that. Why are so many children staying off school? Is yeah. it, you know, the parents are being attacked for that, saying, are parents keeping their children off school? And you're like, well, maybe some parents are keeping the kids off school because yeah. they're, they're doing that for their mental health. Yes, right. Maybe some parents don't value, as you say, they don't see the value well, of well, these well, we, we get that, Dane. We certainly get it from um, some uh, people who've worked and they've done very well out of trade jobs. They they've 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 sat again across the table at parents even mm. and they've gone you know I know my child has to be here but let's be honest Mr Spence it doesn't really matter does it was... because because I've done all right so there's always been that kind of conversation so again you know going back to what we're saying here if I'm if I'm a private school child paid twenty four grand a year I've done two GCSEs okay and you know I'm not I'm not disputing that Latimer won't put a rigorous program together for their for their children because they'll have the parents kind of making sure mm. that happens. But ultimately, they have two GCSEs. They then go on. They're allowed then to do A levels based on or whatever they're allowed to do based mm. on that qualification. They are then competing with everyone else for a university place. How does that all square up? I'm then three years down the line an employer of a small medium sized business. I get a CV through the post. I've got this guy here, two GCSEs from Latimer School. This guy here, nine GCSEs, two A levels from this school. How on earth do I look at that and go? But as you well know, we how... don't live in that world where, I'm sorry, a child goes to Eton and a child doesn't go to Eton. And we, we're not living in a meritocracy like that. Yeah. We know. I mean, that, that, that's fine. You know, I get, I get that. There will be people. That Doors people, open yeah, for people, yeah, don't they? Right at the top, absolutely. But at the, the mid-level here, let's they, they will also be competing with the upper middle as well, won't they? Well, do you, of, think, of, of secondary school. do you think parents are paying 24 grand a year for their child? They're not going to expect that their children aren't going to end up as masters of the universe come a couple of years down the line. You, you don't pay that amount of money and not expect. So they must already have that set up to answer okay, your okay, question. Okay. They, they, they right. wouldn't be doing that okay. unless they are disadvantaging your children of anything. Okay, they're go, only going to do they, this to they, advantage them, aren't they? Why do they go further? Why do you not see Because I suppose that's, that's statutory. That's, that's, yeah. that's definitely required. And, and, and I suppose that's a set standard, isn't it? That is a set standard of you must get mad's name. That's a legality, I would say, yeah. more than anything else. Because you know, you, your schools must do mad's name. Your kids must do mad's name. And if they don't, they have to repeat it. So that, to me, they, that's illegal. They, but they've already tried to do that with the IGC, haven't they? Yeah. So they don't necessarily do the full GCC, do nope. they? So they do an IGCC yeah. in private school anyway. Yeah. So it's not like for like anyway, is it? No, it hasn't. And it hasn't yeah. been for a long, yeah. long time. Um, and, but even the way, you know, exam, you know, people play exam boards. Oh, let's go for that exam board. They've got a, you know, a lower threshold. Let's go. 
there is a there's sometimes people moving around searching for exam boards to see the pass rates on it yeah. or to see how we can game it. Yeah. I mean, it's become a game game theory in that sense. Just looking at Amy's comment here, and I, and I completely agree, and I think it's a it's a very very valid comment. I think languages also get less priority due to the same reasons of being too overloaded. Absolutely, I've seen too often some some kids saying to me, "I'm forced to do a language. I don't want to do a language. Why am I doing a language? Why am I here?" And then a member of staff saying they have to do a language because our point score, because Ofsted <laughs> expect us to. And I've had that far too often where, where a child has come to me and begged and says, please, can I just drop this language? I don't want to be there. I didn't want to be there because their options were because the school is under pressure or the school believes that it has to. Or the trust puts the school under pressure and says, we need your point score because points make prize. What do points make? <laughs> Prizes. And I get that open bucket, closed bucket, this bucket, that bucket. And I'm like, what bucket are we talking about? They have to take from this subject. And you're presumably the lead. And I'm like, what? (laughs) So they have to take a subject from this bucket to this bucket to that bucket to satisfy the whims of an organisation called Ofsted because they judge a school based upon their value-added points score. Stop that, then. Are these Ofsted, the private schools? No? Well, if if they're already rated outstanding, when's the last time they're going to get inspected? They're not the same pressure. So, so they they are they are now completely adrift. There's the, the, there's no, I mean they're not doing the same well, qualification. Quote, 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 pupils when they take Latimer's own qualifications, which have not been. This is this is very Ivy League America. When you think about yeah, it, yeah, yeah. this is Ivy League yeah. America. I have been to the prestigious school and I have qualifications from the Ivy League. Well, you just have to, you you know, have to say the name of the place. You don't even. Yeah, say I'm. You know. You, you we, we know some country. of those names, Notre Dame, and all. We, we, there's some of these American schools are so prestigious that they, they open doors. You know, and of course, the military version is West Point. I've been to West Point. What qualification did I've been to West Point? Doors open, job done. But here they are, you know, saying that they are going to, and, and, and this is to their credit, they're going to stretch the pupils further and free up a quarter of teaching time. So, I mean, I like the sound of that. I like stretching pupils. I like stretching challenge. We all like stretching challenge, yeah. and we want more but, time. But I guess... With what though? I mean, this this is potentially the dangerous bit, isn't it? What is that going to be filled with? Uh, and who's the quality? As you say, yeah, where's the yeah, quality yeah, assurance yeah, yeah. in that? And how? I mean, is... I mean, the quality assurance, I guess, is just the the market, isn't it? That if it doesn't do well, those kids don't pay twenty four grand a year. The another another version of the story says a leading private school has announced it will drop all GCSEs except English and Maths and instead create its own. It aims to stretch pupils. Um, school plans to teach new qualifications from twenty twenty seven. So it's going to take a little while, mm-hmm. and I think that's where the devil in the detail may come out. The move is expected to reduce stress and anxiety among pupils and better prepare them for A-levels. I mean, I like the sound of that. Yeah. Reduce stress, tick, and anxiety among pupils and better prepare them for A-levels. That's one it's of our problems at the moment. Because they're staying anywhere, aren't they? Well, yeah. The school's deputy head said that the pandemic played a significant role in empowering the staff to assess the pupils themselves. So this has been driven from there, thinking, well, actually self-assessment mm. so this has come directly from why are we using gcses when we as the teachers are yeah. a better arbiter of the kids actual level of ability i'll, I'll pause there though, because we've heard before haven't we I, i'll give an example there of a subject that's overinflated grades clearly at, 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 at teacher assessed grades we also had comments before about um primary schools and when they when they um self-assessed and then they got moderated they were brought down a lot. So yeah. there's, a, there's a danger here, isn't there, that teachers invested in their child can be... Do you want to hear the irony? ...can be a little less objective. Do you want to hear the irony? Yeah. The irony is, watch schools inflated grades. 
the highest. Yes. Private schools yeah, and yeah, private that's, that's, that's highest. The biggest, yeah. But then again, if you're paying twenty four grand a year to send your child to a good school, you know, and, <laughs> and, and that's not having a go. I, that's just the system we've got, and I yeah. get we all have our own pressures. Private schools are under different pressures. State sectors on under different pressures. Individual schools are different pressures. So, Trusts so, are under... so when you read this, then you could argue they like the idea of making sure that everyone got really high grades. Well, what's the purpose of education? Is to get children to learn and to succeed. Our pro- my problem with GCSEs is it's a lot of My point is, if our, if the data from TAG shows the highest inflation came from private schools, and they're saying. They, they, they like the pandemic plays a significant role in empowering the staff to assess pupils themselves. Yeah. Well, the staff gave pupils higher grades. Well, I suppose my question to that is, if staff uh, talk about our original sort of workload thing on this yeah. one, because one of the, you, you speak to some people on coursework, and my, my life's a lot easier now than I'm not doing geography and history coursework. I want it back. I loved coursework. Yeah. I loved the constructive nature of coursework, of the journey that I went on with the children. I also loved it when I'm handing works. Like, there's there's one, there's a colleague in your old school. He's now teaching geography in your old school. He's an ex-pupil of mine. And he was, I'd say, B, BC back in the day, you know, BC student. So he wasn't predicted as and A stars. He got 50 out of 50 in his coursework. It was the most perfect piece of coursework. He was telling me he spent an inordinate amount of time making that coursework absolutely his best. When I asked him why he became a geography teacher, and it was one of those moments of thought, why are you being a geography teacher? Because it started when I got that coursework from you. It started when I got a perfect piece of coursework. I says, well, what did that do for you? And he says, I didn't have confidence before that. And I've seen so many times when children have created, and you see it in, in yeah. creative subjects like art. You go into the art room, and I think they're fantastic what they do. And you see the kids creating their work. A DT, I love going into the DT room. One of my favourite days of the year is when I go into the DT room and they put out all the displays. And you see some of the kids who can't write essays. You, you struggle academically. And then you see them creating a beautiful bespoke chair. Your old school was fantastic for that. Mm. It was absolutely brilliant yeah. for that. And that was here you are creating something, you've done it from scratch, and then the teacher turns around, and here's the thing, the teacher says to the children, that's a really good piece of work. I am giving you the feedback. Talk about feedback. Going to an exam and getting feedback from an exam is the worst feedback in the world. What do you get? You get told what your grade is. You don't know why you did well. It's like a driving yeah, exam. No one, no one knows, Which tell me the driving test. You feel your driving test. What does the driving instructor do to you? This is where you failed, this is where you failed, this is where you failed, this is where you went wrong, and gives you a whole readout, and then you don't question it. You don't go, sorry, I, I didn't do that. Yeah. You know then what you failed on, so if you take a driving test again, guess what? You know where to pass. What do we get with GCSEs? You just did a grade. Yeah, you, don't, you have no idea. It's, it's the most yeah. ridiculous system where you don't get any yeah. feedback. Can I just get your thoughts on this? This is um, Sorry. You don't you, you know this, Brent, because it's literally just a broker story in the Times tonight. Um, Richie, the headline is, Richie soon accept to reform A-levels with new British baccalaureates. Continental-style system Aww. proposed with English and maths mandatory to age 18. Well, I'll tell you what, he needs to find more English and maths teachers and good luck to him. Go go out with that. Look, we've just said it before, you can do maths through geography, economics, psychology, science and so many other things. You do English through humanities, subjects, English, maths, philosophy, there's so many. There's ways to do English and maths without doing English and maths. That's my end. That's my my take on that. That is another one of those things to be seen to be doing things without actually seem to be doing things. Spitballing ideas. Focus group loves it. But actually in practicality, good luck to you manning that one. I mean, is it, is it realistic no. in, a, in a year to no. put, put in place? It's fair election. It's, a, it's an election it's, idea. It's, if it's an election idea, yeah. 
Should we move on for it? Yeah, well, it, 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 it's just a new cycle. A, a new cycle. Yeah. I've got Mike in, guys. He's just come in. Oh, brilliant. I've, just, I've gone on my other screen. Yes, far away. Hello, good evening. You have to click uh, bottom left to unmute yourself, Mike. Gotcha. Okay, hi. Uh, good go. evening. Hey, Mike. Um, I thought I might uh, add to this conversation about um, private or independent schools not doing GCSEs. Please do. Uh, and uh, declare uh, my hand. I used to run one of these schools. I currently work with quite a few of the schools, including the schools that have been in the press. Uh, and oh wow! <laughs> and uh, it uh, and uh, part of part of the conversation, I think, is about um, trying to remember that qualifications do not equal an education uh, and I think uh, I also happen to chair a multi-academy trust uh, a trust and have done for a number of years uh, and part of what these schools are trying to do is to break out of that straitjacket that I think England in particular has got itself into that education and qualifications, namely GCSEs, uh, are the same thing. And of course, uh, qualifications, attainment levels are vitally important for progression for all youngsters of whatever background and whatever ability. But they're a subset of education. So what these schools are trying to do is provide space, more space, uh, to broaden and deepen education in a way that they think is going to suit their particular students and i think you know if you take schools like uh latimer uh, there, there are already a number of independent schools that don't do gcse's it's not new by the way uh, uh it, yeah that's been the case for a long time i don't mean they've replaced them with igcse's there are plenty of schools that don't do igcse or gcse's but it won't ever be mainstream i don't think but what the, what what uh, is important to remember that a hundred percent of the students age sixteen in that school go on to do A levels, and probably ninety nine percent of them will go on to higher education either in the UK or, or increasingly around the world. They don't need GCSEs for progression. Uh, I used to run the heads union of, of the independent schools. We used to survey vice chancellors of UK universities every year. They still do about the qualifications, the number of qualifications they, they want to see at 16. And the answer was always, we don't care. <clears throat> we don't, we're not worried about whether you've got GCSEs or any other qualification. We don't care what type of qualification you've got at 16. What we want uh, is to be able to see candidates who are putting themselves forward with uh, you know, a great education, a broad education, a deep education. Uh, and, and remember, universities in the UK are assessing 17, 18-year-olds from around the world. They already deal with multiple qualifications around the world. So the kids at Latimer are all going to university. They don't need GCSEs to go to university. Uh, they need A-levels, and they will do three, four A-levels. They might do a, a EPQ, a Extended Project Qualification as well. Mm. Uh, and they will be engaged in 
lots of things beyond what they're studying in the classroom, including uh, you know social social action and uh, voluntary activities and you know, all sorts of stuff. Uh, um, which so it's the cultural capital, yes, the, the the soft skills, the cultural capital, the voluntary sector. It's, it's developing the whole individual, isn't it? It's that kind of holistic sort of whole education you, rather than you've got it. just passing exams. Yeah, you've got and, it. and that it's I, the focus I, on I the individual, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that's I, in a I'll be honest with you, that's what I think education is for me. You, you know, that's what I like to do in, in my own. It's not just about the exam results. It's about some of the most successful pupils I've taught actually didn't do successful in their exams, but it's about their character. It's their it's their stoicism, their resilience. It's that that overall ability to research, to, to you know, resilience. You know, there's more to it. And I think that's, that's I agree. I, I think I, I, I agree with what they're doing. My problem is why why do you think it won't go mainstream? You know, why can't it go mainstream? And do you think some academic trusts, maybe more, you know, academic trusts, maybe small, smaller academic trusts, do you think they will follow? Do you think this might be a tipping point if some more schools follow the Latimer and, and the, that model? Do you think it may push more people to take that risk? Or do you think the state sector is always going to be in this situation? Uh, well, yeah, the state sector hasn't got a choice. The, uh, you know, the, the, the clue in the, is in the word independent school. Uh, and, mm. and obviously... To us, to a large degree, they can do what they want to do. They're still regulated. They're still inspected. Uh, they still have to meet certain standards. But in terms of you know, how they present a curriculum, they can present the curriculum in a way that suits them. Uh, I just think in uh, many independent school contexts, uh, it, it may not suit them to stand out from the crowd. Uh, because you're you're trying to attract um, families and the children of those families to your school, they're they're uh, either explicitly or implicitly making comparisons with uh, you know, other schools uh, in the vicinity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And standing out from the crowd is quite a brave thing to do. I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, coming back to kind of some of the talk about retention in the, in the state sector. I think kind of what you said there sounds fantastic, doesn't it? And we've kind of said that before mm. that we've been in a context. I've, I've been certainly working in a context where 15 years ago I was kind of allowed to do a little bit of that within the context of the students. There was more freedom. Teacher, more, more freedom. Yeah. And I was kind of closed and closed and closed and closed off all the time. Yeah. Um, if GCs don't matter to, to those students getting A-levels, how come there's so much pressure on state teachers to get GCCs There'll be a lot of teachers coming back after the summer this this start this term. Inquest. And and spending the first half term doing analysis after mm. analysis after analysis on GCC data. What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, I I think it's it's very much contextual. So, you know, in the um, context of the mat that I chair, uh, it, we, we couldn't even if we had the freedom to to not do GCSEs. We couldn't possibly do that because the youngsters need them for progression. They absolutely need them for progression because quite a few will go, uh, uh, as we you've already discussed, they'll go into you know, uh, level three or even level two qualifications. They'll go into apprenticeships. They might go directly into employment. It's, it's not a simple trajectory that everyone is going into higher education uh, and therefore... Uh, uh, they're not necessary. Um, uh, and uh, the, so the context uh, is slightly different. Now, 
personally, if I was education secretary, which is very unlikely, um, I you would be trying to... Honestly, I would, I would prefer somebody who has a foot in the education sector. I would be looking to minimise the imposed <laughs> curriculum in order to be able to provide space and freedom yeah. for teachers to be professional teachers. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, you know, there are plenty of teachers I know in in uh, all sectors who are more than capable of designing really challenging, interesting curricula mm -hmm. that uh, are, are more exciting and and more demanding than some of the GCSEs I taught. I'm a, look, I'm a scientist. I'm a physicist. Yeah. What do, you think, what do you think about the fairness issue here about kind of one rule for one and one rule for the other here around, around this? Um, well, well that's, a society, that's a societal issue. Uh, yeah. you know, it's a societal question. So you know, do, do you want, I'm not being political here, yeah. do you want the state to control everything uh, about your child's education? Okay. Is, is that what you want? Uh, uh, or, or, uh, or do you recognise and welcome uh, for at least those who can afford to do it or are able or able to to you know get scholarships and bursaries and those sorts of things mm -hmm. uh, to have choice uh, in a way that actually in most circumstances mm -hmm. you know, if well, you, well, you don't well, have well, you don't well, have I, a choice. I would, well I, I would like my daughter who's at secondary school to have this choice but she's not going to have that choice because no. of my my inability not to pay fees yeah indeed and yeah. and that, so that that's, is, that's uh, unfair then isn't it that, that's that's clearly an unfairness. Yeah. Uh, the question is, you know, is that is it uh, is none is it uh, an irreconcilable unfairness? Is it so unfair uh, that you want to remove that choice from those who can or or who are able to? And if you remove that choice about you know, where do I send my child to school, or even what does my child study at school? Mm -hmm. uh, if you remove that choice because you're going to hand that authority over to the state yeah uh uh you know, well, you know do you do that for education do you do that for uh, uh every every other aspect of your life that's yeah. i say not a political point i'm trying to make no, it's, no, no, it's no, a okay. societal one yeah what, what that, society do yeah. you want to live in yeah and that's supposedly one of the things is i i, I like what they're doing and, and i'd agree with adam's point i just think education is a great level or i i think we're missing the opportunity for greater leveling up and i think the way that the education system is the have and the have nots i mean i went to a grammar school after i failed my 11 plus and i often felt that life chances were determined by ability to pay rather than ability and i think we're missing far too much natural you know talent that's been wasted because it's sure. it's, it's it's not being developed and i think yeah um and the thing is i like your thoughts on this and this this is this is developing and i don't want you i'm not trying to get too political but it is becoming an issue where um, Labour's tax policy, for instance, on your private education, they seem to suggest that, you know, £1.6 billion can be siphoned from the private sector into the state sector. And they seem to think that's going to be a, a, a sort of a, a vote winner. And by attacking, that's a kind of class warfare thing, isn't it, really? We're attacking private schools. Is do you, What impact do you think? Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think that's going to have some impact? Or is there merit in saying, well, actually... You know, the state sector needs more help and the private sector has got more advantages, such as being able to do things like this GCSE. So what's your thoughts on, on, on the Labour tax policy then to, ta to 
it's a charitable status, isn't it, to, to cut the charitable status of these schools, for instance. Uh, okay, so so you raised quite a few different issues there. So sorry. Yeah. So <laughs> no, that's fine. So let me let me address the charitable uh, status bit. So there are roughly fifteen hundred independent schools in England. Uh, uh, only half of those are charitable uh, institutions with you know charitable status. The rest, the others, are all for profit um, schools. Uh, and uh, and labor is not as far as I can um, tell saying we're going to try to remove charitable status from independent schools uh, and, and that's a sensible thing to do because it'd be bloody difficult to do uh, because you'd have to define what is a school and what's a charitable school and you know do, do, um, uh, uh, do you include um, you know, uh, nurseries that are charitable. What about uh, you know Sunday schools and music schools and you know all that sort of stuff? So, so that would be incredibly difficult to do. And I don't think that's what they're talking about. They are talking about uh, imposing some rate of VAT, unknown what that rate of VAT would be on the fees uh, paid by parents to schools. Uh, and uh, their calculation, uh, which I have to say is a pretty out of date calculation. Um, from a, uh, a think tank about um, five or six years ago uh, is about 1.7 billion. Now, my calculation, uh, uh, having looked at this very carefully and uh, commissioned research uh, on this, uh, is that uh, it wouldn't raise that much and it would probably raise, uh, um, a, it, it would probably not be a net raiser of. Uh, revenue. Uh, in other words, by the time um, there is some recouping of VAT for, for, from schools uh, in the same way as anybody else can recoup uh, VAT, um, you know, the, the effective tax rate uh, is, uh, is dropped. Uh, by the time um, those parents who can't afford, let's say, a 15% hike in fees tomorrow take their children away and put them in um, state schools assuming there is capacity uh, for that uh, yeah, you have to cover the cost of those uh, additional yeah. pupils um, yeah, there are there are roughly 600,000 kids in uh, this is from age um, three I think up it's 600,000 kids in independent schools in England yeah, our best estimate was you know something like a hundred thousand of those would probably be displaced into um, the state sector so that's so that's a combination of parents saying I can't afford this I, I've got to move my child into the state into a state mm -hmm. school uh, and of course the knock-on effect of a number of children leaving schools is that that school is no longer viable so it closes and even those children who were there because their parents could afford it are displaced, and and you've got to remember that you know, there are, are of of the uh, six seven hundred charitable schools uh, in England. Uh, I think there are only seventy that have more than seven hundred children in them. The average number in an independent school is about two to three hundred. So, so you don't really have to lose. Saying, sorry, what you're saying really is is that this is a bit of a smokescreen. It's not really going to work. It's no, it's not... a political move. It's not yes, a financial it's... move. It's a political yeah. move, and it's yeah, an astute political point. move. 
It's a headline, a bit like Richie Sunak tonight with yeah. the Mads in English. It's a bit of a headline. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I, you know, don't begrudge Labour yeah. for saying that's what we'll do because yeah. you know it is a, an astute political move. Let's yeah. let's go for something moral, that is an easy yeah. target. Yeah. On a moral question, though, I mean, it is it is an easy thing to target because morally speaking, you know, having schools which are charitable status and giving that advantage, you, you're talking a party that is more about you know. A society where equality it, it is a fair thing to to ensure that it's not fair really i just don't think it's fair that they have charitable status in a world that we live in now i mean britain's a meritocracy and britain's meant to be a meritocracy we, we are almost in that, in that sort of anglo-saxon thing of living the dream and everybody can make it i mean we, we have doesn't matter what political system you have people are you know work hard do your best you will achieve but the problem is work hard do your best state sector your disadvantage for me it's life chances and and i look at the finland model and i look at the finland model where they go to school for seven years old and they teach a lot less and i honestly the finland model looks a lot more like our private school model which means for me either we make all our schools like your latimer or we make all our schools equal because the social mobility is getting larger and all i can see is the latimer school which i i, I get why they're doing it. i don't disagree with them why they're doing it. i think it's a really good idea but all i can see is this widening the gap do you do you agree do you think that this is going to widen the social mobility gap or how do we close this gap between the state sector and schools like Latimer because I, I can only see that policy making a bigger advantage to them which I don't you know it's up to them they, they're, they're trying to do the best for their kids the same way I'm trying to do the best for my kids in the state sector but I feel that I'm trying to operate with one hand tied behind my back when it comes to sure. cultural capital how is that you know where, where am I skating uphill whereas these guys are having a you know a lot more advantages. What do you think then is things that we can do that Latimer can have this other GCSE, but we close that gap? Well, I think social mobility is a really complex thing, and it's not just a uh, uh, you know, private school versus state school thing. It, it's not just uh, a white versus non-white thing. It's not just a north versus south thing. It's a really complex thing, and. Uh, and precisely because it's complex, uh, there isn't a there isn't a simple answer. You know, um, I, I think uh, you know. I start by saying the the work that lots of independent schools do in partnership with uh, you know state schools around them and uh, other community groups around them has increased vastly over the last you know, ten years or so. And Latham is a great example. Of it, so you know they they have got a uh, a campaign that will um, that they, they were they were you know in the seventies at least they were a direct grant grammar school and they want to get back to the point where you know anyone of um, ability can a uh, without uh, the means to pay can go to their school um, uh, and they're well on the way to uh, to doing that and lots of other schools are, are doing that as well. Yeah. That that won't so that won't solve the, the nation's social mobility issue. Um, you know, uh, as I say, I, I work uh, the map that I chair is uh, on the south coast of England, and and the issue there is is about you know white coastal working class kids, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and helping them um, be more mobile both physically and in their thinking and and what they're doing and not to have not to have wider ambitions or um, aspirations you know, they are incredibly aspirational but i do see barriers 
uh, put in their way, which which are not to do with uh, you know, private school versus state school. Uh, they're to do with where they live, the the facilities they have, the opportunities they have for employment, mm. uh, you know, uh, uh, the uh, access, the easy access to higher education, um, uh, the, uh, the the family circumstances, you know, all of those sorts of things. Do you then think, Mike, that, I mean, because the thing is, I, I'm i always inspired to believe, you know, we can make a difference with education. We can override. Of course we can. And my, and my wife, being a psychologist, she calls it rescuing factors. We, we sometimes can be that rescuing factor, and that's yeah. what many yeah. of us are still in education. Yeah. Well, but do you think too much is put onto us? You know, too much is put onto the, the, the sort of the responsibility of schools to be that deciding factor. And maybe we've un, unfairly ourselves have sort of thought that we have more impact. Are our schools, I mean, because I, I, I genuinely believe I grew up in a working class area in the middle of the troubles. Education was my route out of poverty. Yeah. But I was so driven and motivated, so pushed. So the rescue factor was, you know, competition with siblings the local community we, we, we were all from a council estate but we all went to university but we had to go to university at a time when it was free to go to university and it was encouraged to go to university and it was open to people like me to go to university but i feel those doors are closing i feel those doors are being closing and i get the mood music seems to be university seems to for some people but not others there's a definite societal sort of um, I, I'm not saying dumbing down, but there's a definite sort of falling out with education where people are almost, what's the value of it, which leads to a national conversation. So how can, it goes back to that, are we in the, in the state sector trying to do too much? And ultimately speaking, what impact can we have to override those things? Or can we make the difference? So that, that's my sort of thing. Do, can we be the deciding factor or are, are we just always ice skating uphill, as I'm saying, it doesn't matter what we're doing sometimes. You know, the, the die is cast and the postcode lottery is the postcode lottery and, and you're fighting against the tide of, of an unfair society. Oh. Oh. There? Do you want to bring in uh, Dr. Gaz, Brent? Oh, absolutely. Have I got Dr. Gaz? But yes. Oh, hey, hey, Brent. Um, yeah, I was, I, I've, um, I work in an, an independent school about half a mile away from Latimer and... Um, you know, similar to you, I was had a sort of working class upbringing and went to a state school. Um, so I, I have a kind of, I don't want to say a unique perspective because there's a lot of people like me who, who work in independent schools who also went to state schools, etc. You've got a foot in both camps. Sorry? <laughs> You've got a foot in both camps. So to yes, say. yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think on, on the issue with social mobility, I've always kind of felt that people overestimate, I think, the impact that schools can have. And I've, I've often felt that schools are more a reflection of social mobility in society than a, than a kind of driver of it. Because if you look at the kind of pupils that go to some of these independent schools, you know, and you think of their, their backgrounds and particularly their parental backgrounds, you know, they very often come from families of middle class people who are themselves university educated, etc., um, who, who value education and, and also have the means to provide their children with not just education, but everything they need in life, you know. Um, so I think what a lot of the time you see in, in terms of differences in performance at, say, independent schools and state schools is a reflection of those differences in society rather than a driver of it. And I, I just wonder how much, I wonder if we 
sort of expect too much from schools in terms of closing disadvantage gaps because you know some some of these kids have been you know, their parents are teaching them themselves because they have the the knowledge and expertise to do that um but you know they're also you know just the things like even we take my son for example he's just started school i'm a teacher my wife's a lawyer you know he's he started school at four and he already knows his his phonics for his alphabet because we've been teaching it to him yeah um, and all those kind of things and, and how would you ever get rid of that you know it's because it's million words your, your parents you know yeah. that advantage gap is never going to yeah. disappear it's three million words they say isn't it children from socially mobile families three million words by the first couple of well, years well yeah i mean, I mean we were talking before about fathers i mean like again we've been in a fortunate position where we, mm. we, we can we can sit there and read and we kind of you, know, you, you talk about kind of advantage you know i i saw something on a desk today in a school about some question techniques so i immediately sent it to my wife and said this would be great when uh, my daughter gets back from school you yeah can, you can you can stretch her questions but not everyone's going to have that kind of input and insight true but, into, my, into my, but the world. thing is my, my dad's a plasterer my mom's a housewife mm. my my parents weren't highly educated yeah um i think my mom's probably yeah, you, she's you, not listening you, but she's on the spectrum yeah, 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 as well but but there, there will always be people with enormous drives and, and your drive you know but well i was watching the news at six yeah. and seven years old yeah. and talking about the, the minor strike my education started almost bypassing school and yeah. in, in other words I, I kind of learned a lot less out of school sometimes and it was about the environment it was about the cultural capital yeah. is about the fact that mum and dad would take me to a local castle and tell me about King John and Vading yeah, Ireland. Yeah. My grandmother would tell me the myths and the legends. So I, 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 I absolutely, I think, I, I think that you Dr. Paul is, language. I think that's the key thing. She would learn in language. I completely day. agree with yeah. that. With that point, yeah, yeah. It, it's all on us now. And even now, I, I build into my teaching. You know, my 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 curriculum, my history curriculum. Where's the cultural capital? Where's the cultural capital? And I'm sending the kids go to the local go to the local free uh, museum. Or for a day trip, go here, go to Kenilworth Castle if you want to find out about Dudley and Elizabeth. I'm talking about you know trying to enrich the children's yeah. education by informing them yeah. of how much cultural capital there is in their local area. And yet, you know, when I say to work, I say to some of my kids in a deindustrialized part of the East Midlands, what they did over the summer holidays, they were getting out of bed at two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm saying, why are you getting out of bed too? Because mum and dad are out working. But all, but also you know, the key thing is there's nothing else to do. I mean, one of the there's nothing else in the area to do. The, yeah, the really thing that hit the kids in my stomach the, the other day was yeah. uh, Birmingham City Council. What yeah. was the first thing they kind of worried about selling off the library, the, the big flagship library in the city centre? And now, yet, now, well, now I know because I've seen it. Yeah, when I when I've done a day trip to Birmingham, got my kids. I've seen my kids in the in the in the library because they are in crowded houses. So they yeah. go to the city library. Well, I, I was to, one of those to, kids to, to, to study. If they, if they, if those if those services go. There will literally be no one there. So what what do they need? They'll probably need the school to stay open to, for them to, for them to study over the holidays. The librarian used to make me a cup of tea. Mm. I used to go to the library. It was warm. Yeah. I, I I could go home as well, but I knew I'd get my homework done in the library yeah. because there was no yeah. distractions. Safe, safe. And it was yeah. safe. And and the thing was, the, the 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 librarian and I got on well. When I was at uni, I went to the library at uni. Um, when I was doing my A levels, I put myself put myself into the library because there was less distractions. I'm I'm a kid who would probably not have done as well if I hadn't had a library facility manned by a person who was a human being who could sometimes, I could say, I'm looking for this, and she would direct me towards it. So we're losing a lot of that within within communities, or, or it's 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 some places and all. Yeah. Um, Dr. Gaz, you're a physicist. Yeah. And um, you're, so you. you're rare. You're, you're <laughs> a very rare thing these days. I mean, you, I mean, since I've got you here, I mean, what's going on with science teaching? What's going on with the shortage of science teaching? Because 
the, the, I was a fellow physicist last year, first time in my 20-year teaching career as a history teacher, I was teaching GCSE physics. And all I can say is thank God that Newton still exists and that equal and opposite force is still a thing. So what is going on, really, with recruitment, in, in, especially in some areas? We just cannot retain and find science teachers, especially, you know, physicists, to be honest with you. So uh, what's your insight into that one? Um so, you know, I don't know if there's a, a simple answer to that, but I think um, some of the research that's been done by people like Sam Sims, who's, who's looked at this kind of thing, is that you, you can kind of boil it down to money in certain respects. So if, if you look at the, the median income of physics teachers outside of teaching, it's around 10 to 15,000 pounds more a year than, than in teaching. Whereas in subjects, you know, no offense, but subjects like history, English, the, the median income of teachers in those subjects is actually higher in teaching than it is outside of teaching. Yeah. Um, so it, it, to a certain extent, it just it just comes down a bit to supply and demand, you know, because if, if you pay people more, there will be more people willing to to do it. Um, and it sort of gets down to the point where uh, ultimately, I think what we have to get to is teaching uh, paying teachers of different subjects different amounts of money. Oh, now, yeah. I was hoping you'd go down that route because it's, it's I think mentioned. you know where I'm going to go on that one. <laughs> but well, go on ahead, yeah. I mean, it's worth mentioning that this is actually what happens in private schools. You know, it, it is not uncommon for teachers of subjects like physics to receive um, a, 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 like a shorted subject supplement, which is actually quite sizable. So when I started teaching, I got one of these from uh, the school that I started training at, for example, um so that, that's the hello is it the, gold, the golden hello bursary which which has happened we've had that before haven't we? we've had that throughout recruitment but not isn't just it? but not just for training right so yeah it persists as, as you sort of go through um often or, or you know some tricks that schools do is to just put you higher up on a pay scale straight away than your years of experience would normally allow um but yeah i mean i don't really know but one of the problems is that there aren't really that many physics graduates each year and in order to to fill the shortage we now have you'd need to be recruiting you know nearly all of them every year to fill the gap that's been created over the past 10 to 20 years which obviously is just not going to happen which then boils to the question why aren't we getting i mean because science is you know is a, a, a top subject it is well promoted at school kids have to do you know we we do teach it to a ninth degree it is well taught in schools why aren't we pulling through to the number of graduates because there's a shortage of teachers because it's, it's like there's a shortage of teachers teaching mandarin you know in in languages because we you know people do french and spanish so somebody said to me once why don't we have you know foreign language teachers like arabic and mandarin i'm going that's great and fantastic but we, we have a shortage of people coming out of university with those languages who want to go teach but why are we not producing more physicists then who then go into teaching because that's the the second part of it, isn't it? the first part of it is you're saying is that we're not producing enough physicists second part is we're not producing enough physicists who would be attracted to go into teaching because well, what, what i mean is we so that there are enough physicists so to speak it's just that because we've now had you know a decade or more of under recruitment if you were to try and redress the gap now you'd have to recruit nearly every physics graduate every year for quite a few years to sort of fill the gap which obviously can never happen but you know the bigger problem started from not recruiting enough years ago and that deficit yeah. has just got bigger and bigger and, you know, and now we get to a point where 
it's as you say you know you've got non-specialist teaching physics but then imagine if you are a physics specialist in a school imagine what your life is going to be like you know you're going to be absolutely run ragged trying to teach every physics class you know and then it just people find it too hard and And you're also then supervising non-special i've had that with where a physics specialist had to supervise non-specialist me so they're under a lot more pressure and then the other thing is that they're they're more likely to go into leadership then or be pushed into leadership and and less likely to have the teaching contact time as well you 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 hit upon a kind of cyclical thing there because eventually then if your physics and, and science isn't taught as well in school you're not going to get as many people, you know, it's going to start to impact upon the quality of the education getting that, which then is going to let, lead to potentially less graduates and then in turn lead yeah. potentially to less people going in. You see what I mean? It's a kind of yes, it's certain, yeah, exactly. it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, isn't yeah. it? And, and another thing that is worth mentioning is that in um, independent schools, you don't teach science, you teach physics, right? So I don't, I have never taught biology, I've never taught chemistry in the, the pure subject then i've only ever taught physics mm. uh, i've taught actually a bit of maths and a bit of computer science which actually is more in line with my sort of skill set than biological mm. chemistry and this is something i know for a fact definitely puts people off teaching science um as a physicist in state schools because there really is almost no overlap between biology and physics and yet you're expected to go and teach biology for example um so it just puts a lot of physicists off. They don't good know point. To do it's that. a really good point. And you do sometimes actually get some schools what they may have, a, uh, they may have what they used to have. I don't think they have now, but they used to have a glut of say one science, and they would say to one of their chemists, "You've got to do biology." Or they would, they would sometimes pick and shoot. You know, s- sometimes you get somebody having to fill in, and they'd go, "Well, you are, you know, such and such." I mean, you get that within geography because I'm a human geographer, and I'd have to teach at A level physical geography. So what a lot of schools would have done there sometimes is they have a physical geographer and a human geographer. Do the same with history, don't they? Where they have a sort of specialism, but that's a fair point that you you're asking people to teach a subject that's completely alien because all science they're three separate subjects. You're absolutely spot on. I've always known to be three separate subjects, which is really good. Last question then for you is: Do you then envisage because this is marketization of education? This this is kind of like if you're paid enough, you go somewhere else. But like Premier League footballers, you know, Man City pay you more, or, or Saudi Arabia pay you more. So we'll we'll use. They will use private schools as Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia comes knocking. You're 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 an in-demand physicist. Do you stay in the state sector or do you go to the private sector? You see where I'm going with this? Is do you then envisage that the private sector is an independent sector is going to suck in whatever physics teachers are out there because the market is doing that? I mean, is that where we're at? Where we're going to have such a shortage in state sector because the private sector and independent sector do attract those individuals is that kind of happen do you think that is the situation as well or is that going to be get worse well i would i would say that independent schools are still struggling to attract good physics specialists um but you know take my school for example 75 percent of our department have phds in physics right go and look at the um the names of teachers who teach physics at harrow like so i think Mm. six out of eight of them have phds right same same with eton so it, they're not struggling to get physics specialists. Um, I mean, they, they are to an extent. It's, it's hard to get very good people. But, you know, in general, they can get qualified physics teachers. And it's, it's you know, it's, it, is, it is partly to do with working conditions. You know, you, ultimately, you get paid more at an independent school. You get to teach only physics. You generally have smaller class sizes. You generally have more motivated kids and you know for whatever reason 
um, and you also have more holidays, right? And when you think about it, if you're weighing up um, teaching an independent school versus state school and somebody says, well, I'll pay you, you know, 30, 40 percent more, I'll give you three weeks more holiday a year, you'll teach fewer classes and fewer kids in each class. It's it's kind of hard yeah. to, you know. It's attractive. Yeah. It is attractive, isn't it? And and then when you've got your crumbling state sector building, which has got rack and ruin and asbestos exactly. and all the other things, yeah. yeah, I can see. I can understand that. I mean, that's. I, I don't have any issue with people teaching in either sector. You've got to find it's a bit like with the, with the parents and the kids. You find your niche, don't you? Find where you belong. And I'm lucky. I, I belong in a school that I've been there twenty years because it's 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 it suits my ethos, suits who I am. And and there's a lot of my colleagues, friends, ex pupils, who people I consider to be friends, even have taught. So. You sort of do in education, don't you? Sometimes find your niche and find where you you belong because it suits it suits you. Sometimes suits your personality, doesn't it? As well, where you sort of and some people do go around some schools until they find that that one. It's a bit like dating, isn't it? Going finding the right school can be. Yeah, ex- exactly. And you know, it, it also like you said, it depends a lot on your your personality and yeah. what you want to get. So, so for me, I just wanted to to teach physics. Like, I, I have really very little interest in in trying to cajole people into into learning when they don't want to. I don't, I don't yeah. really want to be dealing with crowd control and all that kind of thing. I just want to teach physics to a high level, and I get to do that. I mean, just just on the point that you were making earlier about charitable status of schools. Um, so, as an example, one of the things that that our school has been doing a lot is to try and work with partnership schools to try and redress this. Um, physics teacher shortest balance a bit so for example one of the things I'm doing at the moment is I'm doing uh, uni prep classes for kids at local state schools where I sort of teach them some more advanced physics and sort of push them beyond the curriculum in preparation for entrance tests and and interviews for um, universities they're applying to and stuff And, and we're doing that with with several local schools and, you know, a lot of independent schools are doing this now because, you know, the cynic in me might say because their charitable status is threatened. But I think there is a broad recognition across the sector that they they can and should help more. And, um, you know, they call that they, they, they have that that's a Victorian term called noblesse oblige. Uh, noblesse oblige is the noble pursuit of helping those less fortunate. It was actually a, a, a Victorian thing, do-gooders. And, and, and I, I agree with you, I hope. I think it is true. There are people out there, I mean, because a lot of the, those independent schools in char- were set up actually by, you know, um, paternalistic individuals and um, the philanthropists, philanthropists yeah. of, the, of, of the Quakers and people like that who actually did give a lot back and they did set up a lot of educational institutions. So... I hope that is the case, and thank you. No, without a bit, Paul. Much, yeah. Thank you for what you're doing as well. I think it is. It's nice to pick, give that back as well, and and and, and thank you for all the, the work as a physicist. You are a rare, rare individual, and and by all means, you're more than welcome to come up to Derbyshire and, and and fill in the gap in the state sector if you if you still feel doing so. Uh, like I said, thank you to all. Um, to, to to Mike, that was a really good call as well. It was really insightful. Uh, like I said, thank you to anybody the comments, uh, Tom and and, and Amy, Paul, Amy, Amy as well. Some yeah. really good comments tonight. And of course, you can listen to us back on uh, where you get your your your, your podcasts as well. Don't forget, we are sponsored by 
Safety Dapt, who is um, our, our, our sponsor, and they provide teachers and school staff with Facebook services, and they do legal support in individual employment disputes and allegations. They're apolitical, uh, which apparently is unlike me, and they're independent, which apparently is unlike me, and they support our, their subscribers individually with integrity, consistency, and confidentiality. They say they're a bit like a union in the sense that, you know, they help you out, but they're not in a union sense, you know, aligned politically or have all the other things that go along with a union. They give advice on allegations, disciplinaries, grievances, suspensions, employment contract, pay, working conditions, sick leave, maternity, paternity, and, and many other things as well. And we were saying earlier on, it's really good that they are open 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday to Friday. And as they responded to us earlier on saying, Friday is their busiest day. And, and yes, and I can tell you, Friday is my busiest day as a caseworker um, or as a, as a union rep as well. But that's why we do this. We help we help each other in the profession and equally we help the kids. And that's 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 part of it. So that's Ed Adapt. And you'll find them on uh, edapt.org.uk. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. It's been a really good show. Really enjoyed that tonight. And we'll catch you next week. On, um, and equally you can listen to us back where you get the podcast from. So I wish you all a lovely evening. I'm about to crash now after a long day. I'm an open day on this as well. So see you next week then, guys. Night-night. Night-night. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.